The American mastodon is extinct. The beautiful armadillo is extinct. The bison occidentalis is extinct. Harlan's muskox is extinct. Jefferson's ground sloth is extinct. The short-faced bear is extinct. Anthony's wood rat is extinct. Bunker's wood rat is extinct. Goff's pocket gopher is extinct. So many stars. Welcome to the, like, 98th episode of Out of All Doors. I'm your host, Adam... No, I'm your host at... No, I'm your hostess... No! I'm Horiost. I am your host... No! Okay, I'm just gonna start over. Hello and welcome... No! Hello, no, hell out, no! Hell, low, and well, come to the, uh, what was it? The 112th episode of, uh, of. <clears throat> okay, okay, I need to back up all the way. The Amherst. Do- <clears throat> The Masteric... No! <laughs> okay, well, since it might take a while to get through the beginning of the introduction, just so you know what's going on, I'm still in the process of trying to destroy the current form of the podcast. Um, so it can be reborn as something good. So hyper-accelerationism is still in effect, but after the last episode, it occurred to me that one big, good, easy way to make the podcast worse would be to not edit it to just leave all the mistakes in. Usually I try to cut all the times I stumble over my words or mispronounce things or sneeze, etc. But now I'm not doing that. <clears throat> so this is going to be a rough, rough ride, unless this ends up being the first thing I've ever recorded where I read all my material flawlessly on the first pass, which, after the way this intro is going, well, that's already out the window. And it's not going to get much better because I actually mess up constantly. Not in bedtime stories, of course. Those I read beautifully, but... Out of All Doors is generally riddled with errors that have to be hacked out piece by piece. Not to mention my noisy neighbors, helicopters flying overhead, neighborhood dogs barking, crickets, my furniture collapsing under the weight of the objects it was specifically designed to hold, and so forth. I mean, I'm not even turning my refrigerator off for this one, so you can be sure to listen for that. Also, just so you... uh, uh, Hold on, I'm getting a phone call. The ringer's on silent, that's why you can't hear it. Hello? No. No. No! Please, no! 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 Alright, bye. Uh, okay, where was I? Okay, I mean, I'm not even turning my refrigerator off for this one, so be sure to listen for that. And depending on what time of day I'm recording this, you're definitely going to hear the cricket. I might not even turn my air conditioner off. And actually, you can hear it right now. And also, I've been recording the other segments before this one. The air conditioner's on all through them. So you'll hear it constantly. So, I mean, why would I? Why would I bother to turn it off? Why would I make myself less comfortable in order to make the intro suck less when the whole point of hyper-accelerationism is to make the uh, 
make the shows suck more. Uh, let's do some kind of list. So let's do some kind of list. Uh, uh, hold on. I, I think someone's lurking outside my door. Hello? Hello? wards against evil. Take all the wards against evil. I'll make new ones. I'll make better ones. My house will be even more impervious to evil as a result of you having taken my wards against evil because now I'll be motivated to improve my defenses from top to bottom. <sighs> uh, let's do some kind of list. Some kind of antagonistic list. Alright, so these are ten... Who are you? How did you get into my house? I don't know sign language. I have no idea what that means. I don't know sign language. I, oh, okay, I do know what that means. Get out! Out! Oh, you don't know how to work a doorknob? Then how did you get in here? Fine. <laughs> I'll do it. There, go. So these are ten tips for making a list of ten tips for an introduction to an episode of Out of All Doors. Uh, number one, don't be afraid to stop well short of ten. You can always go back. <coughs> goodness. You can always go back and change the number of tips you're claiming to offer. Or if you're making a third consecutive deliberately bad episode, you can just say it's going to be ten and then not deliver ten. In fact, you can stop after delivering just one tip, thereby falling a full nine tips short of your stated goal. Uh, now that's bad podcasting. All right, now I'm going to read some letters from readers. In the past, there's been a lot of heated debate over whether or not these letters have been real or not. I can't imagine that these letters will end that debate. Dear Out of All Doors, I don't believe that you're trying to make the show worse so that it will die and then you can resurrect it as something better. I think that the show is getting worse because you've realized that you're not capable of making a good product, so you're doing that transparent, bad-on-purpose thing that people do when they lack genuine talent, so they just wink at the audience the whole time. They don't. They think it makes them impervious to criticism, and so do you. That's what you're doing. It's obvious, and it's not so bad it's good, it just sucks. It's cowardly. Either continue making sincere attempts at failing, or just go away. Signed, Montgomery Euler. Achoo! <coughs> Achoo! Dear Out of All Doors, I'm writing this letter just to see if you're still doing any sort of editing whatsoever, either before you actually read content on the show or after you've read it and decided to cut it out. Most of the rest of this letter is content you will definitely want to cut if you're still putting forth any effort in terms of determining what content actually makes it into the final version of the show. Here I go. 
Get ready. Here comes the stuff you'll want to cut. It's starting right now. The Fever Monument by Richard Brodigan. I walked across the park to the Fever Monument. It was in the center of a glass square surrounded by red flowers and fountains. The monument was in the shape of a seahorse, and the plaque read, We got hot and died. Bet's again, while she... We are spinning toward no horizon. We are sliding down the throat of the void. The void is swallowing us, but we are not quite yet swallowed. You know what they say, either you swallow the void or the void swallows you, dot dot dot, and no one can swallow the void. This is not a statement about the existence of an afterlife. There are varieties of voids. There are voids of different sizes. We're not saying this is the biggest void. You can't see this because you're just hearing this, but we are not capitalizing the word void when we say it. But still, we're lost and frightened. We are overcome with despair. The opening of the void's mouth, which we are seeing from the inside, recedes from our vision as we continue to be swallowed by the void. Some moments define sound sentence construction. Anyway, regardless of the type, style, or size of the void, hup, oh, uh. Anyway, regardless of the type, style, or size of the void, they all have one thing in common. No bats. So no, we have not entered the battery. You know what we've entered. We've said it over and over again. We have entered the lowercase void. And in a void, any void, collectives will dissolve pretty darn fast, and so it goes with us. Our we scattering into all these remembering individuals, longing and longing. Direct quotes follow. There was a bat in the womb with me, I'm sure of it. I could hear its sonar back then, a lot more soothing than the off-key improvised lullabies of my father, accompanying himself on a homemade percussion section comprised of over 35 pots and pans, wanging away upon them with two ladles he got for free from a soup kitchen by begging very insistently. The bat told me to ignore him, and I listened, and I would listen still if my ears hadn't grown so big and unwieldy. My mother threw my guano collection in the garbage can under the sink. A junk mail and carrot peelings tree grew up through the drain, strong and exuding good vigor. The fruit was not good to eat, but it seemed to enjoy its short life, budding, swelling, ripening, plopping on our tile floor. I heard a man on the radio say that some bats walk among us, disguised as people, and the only way you can tell they are bats is if, when they get drowsy, their heads begin to bob skyward as their eyelids droop. I saw the shadow of a bat on my lawn. It was night, but the moon shone like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer's mythical nose, but white rather than red. And yes, I know the moon can at times appear red, but on this night, it was as white as the white side of Rudolph the Red-Nosed White-Tailed Deer's tail. The shadow moved from my left to my right, rudely textured by the patchiness of my grass. This experience motivated me to begin conceptualizing a product called Yard Smoother which does not work, but has appeared in several of my utopian speculative fiction short stories. That's utopian, with a U. I came up with the idea of the bat before I actually came to know that bats exist. The one difference, and I admit that the way they actually are is better, 
was that my idea of the bat had them as big-time polluters. Seem to recall a bat at my high school graduation. How did it come to be involved? Was it receiving an honorary diploma similar to those that my high school bestowed upon celebrities that they hoped would show up to accept them? But the celebrities never showed. But that bat did. Unless uh, that wasn't why it was there. Sometimes I can almost still feel the bat's touch as it massaged the back of my neck, probably on accident. But then other times I wonder if it happened at all, if maybe I didn't just wish it. I included the fact that it might have been an accident in order to make the wish seem more believable, thereby making it easier for me to forget that it was just a wish, that it had never actually happened. Something flew from tree to tree that night. Something. I used to know it was a bat. I used to be sure, but my certainty is crumbling. Was I wrong to be sure? Am I wrong now to even wonder if I should have been sure? Maybe I should be sure that I shouldn't have been sure. What am I, after all? A psychic zoologist? No, it could have been anything. A bird? A hallucination? A black plastic shopping bag from one of those temporary strip mall Halloween stores fluttering, fluttering on the breeze? They're mythical creatures, aren't they? Bats? Based on legend and an untrustworthy fossil record? Hasn't it been shown that if, indeed, they ever existed, then they were unrecognizable compared to their modern depictions in popular culture? Like how the original toothpick fairy was actually just a locust that tried to eat the rotten teeth out of your mouth when you slept, and the local dentist would pay you one penny for every dead one you brought to him. There used to be a word for it. There used to be a word for the ideas that reside in caverns, inverted, blindness, falsely attributed thereto. These concepts that people feared would become entangled in their hair, these concepts that people feared would become entangled in their hair, a colorful way of depicting the way a concept can attach itself to you, can become a fixation that you struggle to shake. Artists would render these concepts in a certain hazy physical form, usually as a silhouette, without concreteness, invented wholly by man, although the power to invent was derived from God, and now expired, discarded, left to those in the past, if they can still be said to exist in any way, to ponder. And now expired, discarded, and left to those in the past, if they can still be said to exist in any way, to ponder. What was it that I used to seek? Myself and all the other individuals with which I spent my time? Where was it that I went? What was it that I often entered, at least once per month, sometimes more? How did I know when I had entered it? What was there that let me know that I had arrived? I remember the structure, but not the content. Now I know neither structure nor content. Which do I prefer, I can't even say. The idea of preference has long since departed. I'm surprised that these tatters of the past, these impressions about our group and its regular goal, persist. It must have all been very strong, a powerful force. It drove me for three and a half years. What was it for if this is where I've come? I cannot see anything in this darkness. I cry out in a high-pitched voice and hours later feel the sound waves begin to return to me from many directions the other individuals growing more and more separate in the void like me. But in a way, each void is our own void. One echo comes from quite nearby, though, and I propel myself toward it, flapping erratically. It is small, so I know it's not another being like me. I eat it. 
I do not know which way is up, as if there could be any such thing in a void. But I arrange myself so that I feel upside down. Now I can relax. Why am I doing any of this? What am I? A simple three-letter series of letters... Oh, a simple three-letter series crawls up the back side of my brain. B-A-B. Is that what I am? A bab? It works as well as anything. I'll never encounter another to contradict me. I am a bab. I am a bab. I am a bab. I am a bab. I enfold myself, covering my face despite the darkness and sleep. I am in the void. 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 I am in the This month's products come to us from a new sponsor for Out of All Doors, and we're very excited to have them. They are not Gentleman's Mills. They are called something else. The company has its own name, and that name is Mr. Orderable, and their mascot looks a lot like Mr. Peanut. Keep in mind that if you want any of these products, you should go to the Mr. Orderable website and order what you want, being certain to include your real name and home address so that Mr. Orderable knows exactly who wants this stuff and where to find you. Now, on to a list of some of the products offered by Mr. Orderable. Cabbage Patch Adults. Their heads are still shaped like cabbages, but now they're contributing members of society, paying taxes, voting, and using legally purchased firearms to fend off coleslaw chefs. Lady in the Trampoline. This trampoline can sort of eat spaghetti. Braggadocious Certificate. Carry this certificate on your person to justify your use of the word braggadocious in casual conversation, nullifying all eye rolls and snorts of your companions. Three bookmarks. This is flagrant false advertising to your advantage. Order the three bookmarks and delight as you open your delivery to discover that you've actually received a pamphlet that teaches you how to source your own unlimited supply of bookmarks. Double quarter pounder, doubler, quarterer, and pounder. Takes a standard double quarter pounder from McDonald's, doubles it, then divides it into quarters, then pounds it all flat. Whippersnapper. Plagued by whippers? The Mr. Orderable Whippersnapper will snap those whippers faster than a whipper can crack a whip. Chopsticks Voltron. Individually, these are just three pairs of chopsticks, but when they unite, they become one giant fork with six blunt-tipped tines. Granny Smithed Apple. This apple was made in a forge by a grandmother. Beast Untamer. Returns boring pets to their better years of wild disregard. Roofer Shusher. Having your roof redone this week but dreading the racket? Slip Mr. Orderable Roofer Shusher into the glasses of lemonade you offer to the workers and then relax as they walk about the roof on tiptoe. Use silencers on their nail guns. Listen to classic rock radio under headphones with long, long cords and whisper body jokes to each other, nodding appreciatively at the punchlines. Instant Infant. A potty training blitz. Metabo Slim. By the slice. Eat this delicious pizza, which comes with all the toppings but mushrooms. <clears throat> Metabo Slim. Buy the slice, eat this delicious pizza, which comes with all of the toppings but mushrooms when you're ready to slim down leader than your old self and current rival. Pair with Power Pop to add muscle bulk. Undivorceable. 
Wearing this ring on the same finger as your wedding band renders you impervious to the dissatisfactions of a picky spouse. Good for the gander. Whenever you do something good for your goose, we'll step in and do that exact same good thing for your gander, thereby doubling the total amount of good done for your goose-slash-gander combo. And again, one more reminder for Mr. Orderable to make absolutely certain that your real full name is included as well as your home address. You may also include the phone number, your phone number, and of course, if you're ordering these products, a a working credit card, current, up-to-date, will also be required. But we just really want to make sure that you get all of that information to Mr. Orderable as accurately as possible. Thank you. This is an interview that's been a long time coming. Adam Drent, welcome to Out of All Doors. Uh, thanks, but what segment is this? It's just an interview segment. What kind of interview segment? Is this a new segment? I don't know if you could really consider an interview segment a new segment. They've been pretty common in all sorts of media for decades. Centuries, probably. But is this segment new to Out of All Doors? And I'll tell you the reason that I ask. It's because the only other segment that we've had that's a sit-down Q&A format like this is Underappreciated Nature. And I do not want to be on Underappreciated Nature. Oh, well, if that's what you're worried about, then you have nothing to worry about. So you're saying this definitely isn't the Underappreciated Nature segment? Because I can't help but notice that in addition to this being a sit-down Q&A format, I am again playing both parts, which was another key element of the Underappreciated Nature segment, so that makes me even more suspicious. Well, who else would play the role of Adam Drent, right? But someone else could play the role of the interviewer, right? Well, but I'm the host. The host of what? Of the Underappreciated Nature segment? The host of everything. Look, I can tell you're being evasive, and there's really only one reason you'd be evasive. This is the underappreciated nature segment. You tried to bottom out with the Out of All Doors interview last month, and now you're trying to dig a hole in the bottom so you can go even deeper by interviewing me, Adam Drent. Wait. Wait. You're saying that you think you're Adam Drent? Oh, no. I thought I was Adam Drent. Are you are you just going to sit there in silence? How will the interview continue if you don't ask questions, which is your role as the interviewer, that I will then answer, which is my role as Adam Drent, right? Isn't that who we are, right? <sighs> so do I need to storm out to bring this to an end? Because that's just a repeat of what happened last month. How is this installment really pushing the concept at all? I mean, it's not worse. It's not more confusing. It's not even weirder. Unless this is just a hyper-accelerationist tactic to wreck the podcast through tedious repetition. Is that it? Hello? Hello? Where did he go? Regarding the dawn, regarding the dawn, 
Let's get started with our first episode. Okay. All right. Okay, everybody. The new format today, Brooks and I are going to do a new show. Roadside Cuisine. Right. This is where we are going to review food you can get on the road and offer advice for you fellow travelers. Well, what's the first stop, Dwayne? Well, Brooks, I think we should go start with an old standard, the McDonald's hamburger, and then go on to other burgers and things to compare. Fine by me. Let's find us some McMeaties. Why don't we do french fries instead? All right. I got no problem with that. I like fries. Mm. Thank you for choosing McDonald's. What can I get started for tonight? Oh, uh, could I get a, a couple of uh, orders of fries, please? Say that again. Anything else for you tonight? No, that's all I need. Two fries will be 426 at the first window. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Man, you didn't ask. What? Dude, sit down. Get back on your fine, side. Fine, fine, but I want my mustard from that. Well, I mean, it is McDonald's. Tastes amazing. What? Yeah, man, much better than three-day-old bread out of a dumpster behind a shopping mall. Yep. You know well, yeah, but but that's not what we're comparing it to. Or uh, one-day-old lasagna from Fizzoli's dumpster, too. What? That's not what we're comparing it to, either. Mm. Oh, you gonna finish yours or not? Oh. Next stop, Burger King. King of the burgers. All right. Oh, I want to get some of them pepper popper thingies, too. Um, well, we were just comparing, well, I guess, french fries right now. Oh, come on, man. No. All right, let's get some. Ooh-wee, now we're cooking. <laughs> oh, man, those poppers, eh, they're awesome. I told you, man. Um, but what about what about your fries? Oh, it tastes amazing. Well, I mean, it's not as good as these pepper poppers, but it's better than the McDonald's one. Oh, you're crazy, man. It's way better than freezing cold moldy fish sticks from the... Oh, God. Okay, that... That's enough. Oh, I get to choose next. I know, I know. No, oh, okay. Your turn to pick. Hot dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll have uh, two Polish dogs with extra sauerkraut, please. No pickles. No pickles on mine. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, uh, no pickles on one of those, please. Mm, amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's not too bad. Your turn, man. Um, Canadian bacon pizza Blitz bites, please. Two extra spicy Cajun crock rolls, please. I have two spinach splitters, pretty please. Two caramel dip lamb heroes, please. Two super syrupy waffle taters with extra mayonnaise and chives, please. Two lollipop pork roast candied malts, please. And thank you. 
two gooey gumbo bread bowls, pretty please. Oh, oh, and two catfish corn dogs with extra relish and blue cheese, please. Oh, amazing. Oh, <laughs> I agree. What's next? Oh, the vomitorium, I think. Oh, never been there. Is that like a Lebanese joint or something? No, dude, it was... Oh. Never mind, false alarm. So um, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Um, out of the roadside cuisine we had tonight, what was the worst? Well, the worst was when we were between restaurants. Oh, what? No, man. The the worst food here, like this. The worst food we had tonight had to be the caramel lamb heroes. What? You're crazy. Those were the those were moist <laughs> and succulent. It oh. had just the right amount of savory to go with the oh. well-marbled meat. Oh, I mean, the caramel was congealed, and it, I just... Fine, then, Missy Prissy Pants. What was your favorite thing we ate tonight? Ooh, um, it had to be the gooey gumbo bread bowls. Oh, yeah, those were extra gooey tonight, weren't they? For sure. <laughs> I'm drowning! I'm drowning! Where, where am I? What the... Oh, crap. Wait... Why? What? Oh, hey Ben, have a nice nap. Yeah, did you? Why is the back seat filled with food wrappers? Oh, you look cold, so we covered you up. Yeah, 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 we were, we were worried. That's insane, paper won't keep me. Wait, wait, what is all over Brooks's beard? On my signal, dude. Is that mustard? Maybe. Have you guys been eating out? Run for it! Oh! Hey, man, Dwayne! I'm stuck in here! Get me out of here, man! What? Were you guys oh. eating out then? Is that what you were doing? Is that oh. what you were doing? Uh. Hey. Uh. Wait. Where's my wallet? Dwayne! Regarding the dawn. Regarding the dawn. Regarding the dawn. Regarding the dawn. Just do whatever you want. I honestly don't care. But the visualization exercise is starting now, so if there's any particular way you want to prepare for that, go for it. I'm certainly not going to stop you from, for example, closing your eyes, lying down, and relaxing. You find yourself in a lawn chair facing a cinder block wall which is freshly painted a blue the color of some skies. The paint is so fresh that it is still wet, but little by little, because this is the natural course of things, it is becoming more dry. Drier and drier, and you're here in the lawn chair to observe the whole process. You watched the painter paint the wall, and now you're watching the drying of the paint on that wall. You're sitting close enough to the wall that it fills your entire field of vision, and sure enough, as time passes, the paint becomes less glossy, less wet-looking, and more dry-looking. You realize, of course, what's happening. You're no dummy. You were not born yesterday, nor today, nor are you yet to be born. You were born years ago. You're a grown-up, your body well on its way back to dust. No, not on its way back to being dusty, on its way back to being dust. You know that watching paint dry is a figurative expression from somewhere that is often used as a comparison for a very boring activity. Like, this movie is about as exciting as watching paint dry. In this example, the speaker would be attempting to express the opinion that the movie is not exciting at all. That it's actually unexciting. That it's boring. In all likelihood, it's a superhero movie. Now, hold on, because some people think... 
that boring things are relaxing. So that would mean the vision. So that would mean this visualization exercise still has a chance to be good, or at least effective, during an episode in which everything is supposed to be bad on a whole new level. When people are having trouble falling asleep, sometimes they'll count sheep. According to cartoons, the would-be sleeper pictures a small section of fence and then counts sheep as they leap over that fence while saying, bah, bah. This bores the would-be sleeper to sleep because counting is boring and sheep are boring. But on the other hand, when my friend Matt fell off a cliff in Utah and spent all night wedged in some rocks before being rescued by a helicopter the next day, he counted in order to keep himself awake because he thought he had a concussion and didn't want to pass out and die. What was he counting? Nothing. Numbers. Sheep would have been more exciting. So not all boring activities lead to relaxation or sleep. Look how much of this visualization exercise has been taken up by a boring but not relaxing exploration of the topic of things that are boring but not relaxing. It's not relaxing to hear the result of me writing aimlessly, waiting for an angle to appear, feeling around in the dark for a way in. The paint just keeps getting drier and drier and drier. At what point does paint become fully dry? At what point can it no longer be said to still be in the process of drying? That's a question best left to philosophers, probably. And what's up with those wet paint signs, you wonder? Where do they come from? Where do they go? Not that there's a wet paint sign on this wall, but seeing this paint that is not yet all the way dry has made you think about wet paint, and that has led naturally to thoughts of wet paint signs. But seriously, how many times have you seen a wet paint sign indicating the wetness of paint that is obviously dry? How exasperating. The wet paint signs probably come from some supply room and then they probably go back into that supply room when they aren't being used. But who puts them up and who takes them down? Some sort of paint wetness expert. Or perhaps they prefer to be called paint dryness experts. Hey, maybe you could become a paint dryness expert after you've finished watching this paint dry. You'd be the one calling the shots, putting the wet paint signs up when you please, taking the wet paint signs down when you please. Maybe all paint is considered wet until the wet paint sign comes down, no matter how dry it may look or feel. Maybe the wet paint sign is what makes the paint officially wet. But what about societies without written language, but with paint? What then? Anyway, as you watch the paint dry, it does exactly that. It dries. You note that the paint that was applied first seems to be the most dry, whereas the paint that was applied last seems to be the least dry. If only the paint could dry in such a way that it would all transition from wet paint to dry paint at the exact same moment. Well, such a thing is scientifically possible. As a former house painter, let me explain how it works. But first let me tell you some more background about how I was a professional house painter. I painted houses during the summer while I was in college. I did not like it. Andy did it too for two summers, but the second summer he missed a bunch of days because he was in the National Guard and our boss got mad. Also, one time our boss made a list of steps that we employees should take in order to keep the van more organized, and the first step was, keep the van more organized. Anyway, if you were to begin painting a wall by laying the paint on very, very thick and then gradually lay it on thinner and thinner until you were done, then if you could, then if you could theoretically work it so that it would all pass, wait, oh, then you could theoretically work it so that it would all pass from wet to dry at the same time. Because paint applied thickly takes longer to dry than paint applied thinly. Also, when our boss would tell us to use a modest amount of paint, 
he actually meant to use a lot of paint because he mostly associated the word modest with clothing. So in his mind, someone dressed modestly is wearing more clothes. So paint applied modestly would mean more paint. This would have been even funnier if we hadn't gotten in trouble for using a modest amount of paint when he told us to use a modest amount of paint. Why must people be alerted when in the vicinity of wet paint? Is it because they might accidentally sit on it, lean on it, or brush against it and ruin their clothes? Yes, that's almost certainly the reason. But, and bear with me here as I kind of circle back to a previous thing without bothering to just insert this thought in the appropriate section as I could very easily do with the convenience of a modern word processor, but how come there's a wet paint sign but there's no dry paint sign? Are we just supposed to assume that all painted surfaces we see without wet paint signs are dry? Yes, that's almost insert. Yes, that's almost certainly what we're supposed to assume. I should have said, you think about how there's... I should have said, you think about how there's no dry paint sign. That would have been more visualization exercising. You were tempted to lean forward in your lawn chair to touch the wall to feel if the paint is dry, but you were supposed to be watching paint dry, which does not involve the sense of touch. And what if your fingertips got blue on them? Then where would you be? You'd be unable to scratch your nose using those fingers for several minutes without incurring further humiliations upon your person. But now think about this. What are some things that might make paint dry faster? Well, moving air, for one. Wind? Yes. A box fan? Yes, if it's pointing at the drying paint. What about some kind of hot light, such as a heat lamp or the sun? Well, actually any star would do the job if you got it close enough to do the... Well, actually, any star would do the job if you got it close enough to the drying paint. What about humidity? Humidity makes the paint dry slower, which is why on a very humid day, you'll find that your painted surfaces are taking longer to dry. What about watching the paint dry? Does that affect how fast the paint dries? The impetus for this question of yours is that old saying, a washed pot never boils, the veracity of which you, you have never bothered to confirm or debunk. But actually, the way you're watching the paint dry probably does affect how fast the paint is drying in some ways. For one, you're breathing in its direction, so you're contributing some airflow over the painted surface. Furthermore, since you're a living organism, your body is probably generating and radiating a small amount of heat toward the painted surface. And also, I actually believe that our brains play some role in shaping physical reality. So if you're thinking about the paint drying, that may also be contributing to the drying of the paint. One interesting thing about the paint drying, as it dries, the color is changing. Why, it's drying darker than it appeared when it first went on. And look at the sheen. No, not Charlie Sheen. No, not Martin Sheen. The sheen of the paint, which is hard to explain, but it's... Oh, the sheen of the paint, which is hard to explain, but it's just how the paint looks, basically. Like, how shiny it is. Like how shiny it is. So maybe that's a good mnemonic device. When you hear the word sheen, think about someone mispronouncing the word shine, possibly because they don't know any better, or possibly because they were speaking to an audience and got very nervous and stumbled over their words, or possibly because they thought it would make their friends laugh. Whether or not their friends laugh, whether or not their friends did laugh is irrelevant. And now, open your eyes and take the piece of blah blah blah, even when you're inside of one or more doors.